You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Iron Man 3, which came out in 2013 and was directed by Shane Black. It stars Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Guy Pearce, Rebecca Hall, Stephanie Shojak, James Badge Dale, William Sadler, Miguel Ferrer, John Favreau, Ty Simpkins, Dale Dickey, Paul Bettany, and Sir Ben Kingsley. The genre would be superhero movie. I'm Tony Stark. I build neat stuff. I got a great girl. And occasionally, save the world. So why can't I sleep? You don't know who I am. You'll never see me coming. What are you going to do about these attacks? The whole world's going to be watching. The question, where is Tony Stark? Things are different now. I have to protect the one thing that I can't live without. That's you. Mr. Stark. Today is the first day of what's left of your life. You're nothing more than a maniac. I'm not afraid of you. No politics here. Just good old-fashioned revenge. This might very well be not only the most rewatchable MCU movie, but now looking back on the 10 years of MCU episodes since then, I'm fairly confident that it has the best action of any film in the franchise. Writer-director Shane Black really leaves his stamp on this one, and it's all the better for it. It's such a strange tonal balance that he pulls off, and that this easily has as many jokes or quips as any other MCU entry, but there's also a genuine sense of danger to the proceedings. What we see of the extremist project, which is the villain's growing army of regenerative super soldiers, it's pretty hardcore for PG-13. And these seem like stronger foils for our hero and his Iron Man suit, definitely more than anything else he has fought in any other Avengers or Iron Man sequel. Plus, the humor is also a bit nastier. But it helps to have peak Robert Downey Jr. delivering the snark. So, uh, who's home? Well, my mom already left for the diner, and Dad went to 7-Eleven to get scratchers. I I guess he won, because that was six years ago. Hmm. Which happens, dads leave. No need to be a pussy about it. Here's what I need. A laptop, a digital watch, a cell phone, the pneumatic actuator from your bazooka over there, a map of town, a big spring, and a tuna fish sandwich. What's in it for me? Salvation. The story? Well, it's nothing particularly original. I mean, it's really just a riff on the original Incredibles, as many have said. Or honestly, a variation on pretty much every Tony Stark-centered story. And that's even including Ultron, the first two Spider-Men, and even Civil War when you think about it. Tony Stark and his father's ongoing effort to, quote, privatize world peace has caused him to overreach and or act arrogantly, resulting in collateral damage or just a potential partner transforming into a bitter rival. It's happened several times now. And in this case, that bitter rival is scientist Aldrich Killian, played by the ever-reliable Guy Pierce. It's an idea we like to call extremis. I'm going to turn your lights down. Regard the human brain. (laughs) 
Uh, wait, hold on, hold on. That's that's the universe. My bad. But if I do that. That's the brain. Strangely mimetic, though, wouldn't you say? Wow, that's amazing. Thanks, it's mine. What? This, you're inside my head. It's a it's a live feed. Come on up, I'll prove it to you. You see, Snark snubbed him at a party decades prior in a pretty clever flashback sequence which opens the film, and now Killian is looking to unleash his new extremist program on the world under the guise of combating terrorism. And wouldn't you know it, there's a fierce new terrorist on the loose known as the Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley. There's just one lesson left, President Ellis, so run away, hide, kiss your children goodbye, because nothing, not your army, not your red, white, and blue attack dog can save you. Or is he? who's masterminding bombings all over the country while also promoting his dangerous message via hacked TV appearances that are even getting to the president. And the only ones who could stop him are Iron Man and Iron Patriot, played by Don Cheadle, also known as War Machine. And it's only them because, well, this is a standalone Iron Man sequel. It tested well with focus groups, all right? I am Iron Patriot. Listen, War Machine was a little too aggressive, all right? This sends a better message. So what's really going on? Mandarin. Seriously, can we talk about this guy? It's classified information, Tony. Okay, there have been nine bombings. Nine. The public only knows about three. But here's the thing. Nobody can ID a device. There's no bomb cases. We know I can help. Just ask him. And through some amateur detective work from Happy Hogan, played once again by John Favreau, we then meet Killian's own nefarious extremist hitman, played pitch perfectly by James Badge Dale. This leads to an explosion in L.A. which kicks off the central mystery, which kicks off the plot. And then things really escalate when Tony publicly challenges the Mandarin, who then dispatches gunships to his Malibu cliffside mansion. We're going out of town. Okay, we've been through this. Nope. Yep. The man says no. Immediately and indefinitely. Honey. Great idea. Let's go. I'm sorry, that's a terrible idea. Please don't touch your bags. This is how normal people behave. I can't protect you out there. Is that normal? Sadly, Yes, this is normal. It's very normal. It's a big bunny. Relax about it. Calm down. I got this for you. You still haven't even told me you liked it. I don't like it. I asked you three. You don't like it? We are leaving the house. That's not even up for discussion. Can we, um... What? Do we need to worry about that? resulting in the first of several dazzling, tangible action set pieces. Like I said, the action here is really good. You've got this house on stilts being taken down and an attempted helicopter assassination at a cliffside location, which both seem to be homages to Black's Lethal Weapon roots, as he wrote the original Lethal Weapon movie. It's just all on a bigger budget and a grander superhero tech scale, and the comparisons do not end there. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Over the past decade, Brian Tyler has become one of the most reliable composers for franchise movies. And he just did a really good score for Super Mario Brothers. Check out that review. He's done scores for various Fast and Furious sequels, the most recent Rambo movies, the last two Screams. And for a few years, he was a go-to guy for the MCU, composing the scores for this, Thor The Dark World, and Avengers Age of Ultron. And I gotta say that even though his music doesn't resemble the themes heard in the previous two Iron Man movies, it's pretty rousing stuff. For one thing, he introduces a muscular new theme for the titular hero, which seems to always kick in whenever he gets suited up. 
It's fast-paced, filled with blasting horns, and punctuated with metal-clanging drums. Because, you know, iron. Not only is it an improvement over the past two Iron Man themes, but it stands out as one of the better standalone themes in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, possibly second only to the original Avengers theme composed by Alan Silvestri. Good stuff. But even better, when the movie ends, kicking off with one final declaration from our hero, yeah, guess what he says? We are then treated to a more swinging 60s version of this theme from Tyler, replete with bongos, organs, trumpet blares, surfer guitars, just full-on playful hero music blasting over a closing credits montage, taking us back through all of the major players from all three previous Iron Man movies. Well, except Terrence Howard. Okay, I get why, but it's still kind of sad. Next time, baby. And all of the imagery is shown to us in primary colored frames right out of a comic book. It's definitely one of the better closing credit sequences of this universe, right up there with the one from the first Black Panther. And Tyler even gave this particular theme a catchy name. Can you dig it? And yes, I mean, he actually named this track, Can You Dig It? I am Iron Man. And now the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. This, of course, brings me to the film's standout sequence, which might not only be the best Marvel action sequence, but is the best of any superhero movie in recent years. Yeah, it's that good. Maybe even better than The Dark Knight. We're basically well into the final act of the movie, and we are watching our metal-clad hero rescue about a dozen passengers dropping quickly from an exploding Air Force One. It's not only thrilling and funny, but just truly rousing stuff. I mean, obviously they use some green screen here, but having watched the sequence so many times, I just don't see it. How many in the air? 13, sir. How many can I carry? Four, sir. This environment of being thousands of feet up in the air is just very convincing. It feels momentarily harrowing even to see these folks free-falling so high, making it even more of a kick to watch how Tony wittily saves them using the, quote, barrel of monkeys approach. It's just a masterclass in big-budget filmmaking. You can even imagine James Cameron watching this and tipping his hat. I'll electrify your arm. You won't be able to open your hand. We can do this, Heather. 
See? 11 more to go. Remember that game called Barrel of Monkeys? That's what we're gonna do. 18,000 feet. Come on, people. Everybody grab your monkey. Which brings me to the next category, which is Wasted Talent, the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Yet for my second episode in a row, having just done Andor Season 1, I'm going to make this category about the fans. Yep, the fans who can't always appreciate what they have until it's gone. You see, even though this film received generally positive reviews and was a huge box office smash, there was a backlash from Marvel fans. And it was mostly about the twist involving the Mandarin. And me, myself, I've always been kind of ambivalent towards this. I mean, it kind of makes sense for the story, even though I think the drugged-out actor shtick is probably a bit overplayed, despite a good performance from Ben Kingsley. He created you. He created me. Custom-made terror threat. Yes! Yes! His think tank thinked it up. Uh, The pathology of a serial killer. The manipulation of Western iconography. Ready for another lesson? Blah, blah, blah. But apparently taking the Mandarin this route so pissed off much of the Marvel fan base that it resulted in a sizable backlash, which hurt the legacy of this film. And now Iron Man 3 is looked upon by many as a silly detour from the MCU. Which is unfortunate, because not only would Black not return to this franchise again, but fast forward a year to 2014, and this same fan base would be gushing over the mildly competent mediocrity of Captain America the Winter Soldier. You need to keep both eyes open. Okay, calm down, fans. My opinion, it's just my opinion. It's a film that's fine overall, but by comparison is so much blander and toothless in comparison to this film. And unlike in Iron Man 3, where you see the filmmaker putting his distinct stamp on the genre, Captain America Winter Soldier only kind of dips its feet into other genres. Now imagine an MCU moving forward where someone like Shane Black was given the keys to the kingdom as opposed to the Russo brothers. For me, it's sad. Which brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. In case it was not already obvious, the success of this movie really does come down to two people. First, there is the Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr. Returning as Tony Stark, he gives a strong performance with a couple of added dimensions from the previous films. This post-Avengers version of Stark is obsessively mission-focused, guarded, and even somewhat traumatized. But at least he's also quite self-aware. I'm a piping hot mess. It's been going on for a while. I haven't said anything. Nothing's been the same since New York. Oh, really? I didn't notice that at all. You experience things. And then they're over and you still can't explain them? Gods, aliens, other dimensions? I'm just a man in a can. The only reason I haven't cracked up is probably because you moved in, which is great. I love you, I'm lucky. But honey, I can't sleep. You go to bed, I come down here, I do what I know. I tinker. And at its core, RDJ, Robert Downey Jr., plays that self-awareness to the hilt, as only he can. Rapid-fire mumbling, quippy asides, and just an overall jittery pathos, which makes it clear that even though he's very aware of his situation, he doesn't always have the first clue of how to work his way through it. It's just a very good performance, and one of his best as this character. 
And a big reason for that was that Downey had reunited with the writer-director who had helmed what many considered to be Downey's first real post-recovery comeback vehicle eight years prior to Iron Man 3, which is the action comedy Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I can do that. Where is the girl? What did you just do? I just I put in one bullet, didn't I? I you put, put a one. live round in that gun. Oh, well, yeah. There was like an 8% chance. Eight was it just 8? 8? Yeah. Who taught you math? And if you've been a regular listener of this podcast, you know how much of a Shane Black fan that I am. He wrote previous episodes Lethal Weapon, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and The Last Boy Scout. Now keep in mind that these were all R-rated action films, loaded with profanity and violence. In fact, Iron Man 3 might be the only film directed by Shane Black, which is not R-rated, and yet he brings all of his sensibilities to it regardless. None of this is ripping off Black's previous films, mind you, but it's just kind of borrowing his vibe. We have Christmas in warm climates, bar brawls, wisecracking kids' sidekicks put in peril, ponytailed henchmen with machine guns, and a lethal weapon 2 on steroids climax on the docks among shipping containers. It's actually surprisingly seamless fitting this content into the more family-friendly MCU, as Black, with co-writer Drew Pierce, just seems to be having genuine PG-13 fun riffing on the absurdity of this whole central premise of a world filled with alien invasions, hot flaming-skinned super soldiers, and of course flying metal suits. And also about how half the time none of this tech seems to work as it should. On paper, this movie just should not work nearly as well as it does. But it does thanks to peak-level work from its star and director. And for that reason, Robert Downey Jr. and Shane Black are your co-MVPs. About Iron Man, I think we both like a more grounded, kind of realistic character. Uh, I think we like playing with the idea of taking something very mythic and powerful that starts to get dark and then lightening up and sort of not taking it too seriously, taking it back a step into satire. My rating for Iron Man 3 would be four and a half stars out of five. Happy 10th anniversary to what might be the most underrated film in this increasingly expanding Marvel Cinematic Universe. Among all of the MCU films which I have seen, which is most of them basically, I've seen I think 26 out of 32 so far, I would probably rank this one fourth overall, after the first Iron Man, the Avengers, and the first Black Panther. And if you're looking to watch Iron Man 3, it is currently streaming on Disney+. And that ends another Mach 42 review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.